0: good morning children are off to children's church and you're stuck with me I'm not as cute nor as animated as they are some of them are true Baptists because clapping and singing at the same time is a challenge (laughs) but we're raising up a whole new generation of singers they did so good I'm so proud of them Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter number 24, and we're going to be again reading in a few moments in verse 13. Have you ever felt hopeless? I mean, your life hit bottom, and you don't see any way out. Well, that's what two of the followers of Jesus felt after his crucifixion. It seemed as if the bottom had fallen out of their lives. All their hopes and dreams had seemed to vanish on Friday when Jesus had died on the cross. Everything had happened so fast. They were in a state of shock and fear. And then, early on Sunday morning, Easter to you and I, the women went to the tomb that held the body of Jesus. They rushed back to the disciples with news that the tomb was empty and that the angels who had been there told them that Jesus had risen. But the disciples who were gathered together at first received the news from the women as hysterical. Peter and John ran to the tomb and they discovered that it was indeed empty. Jesus' band of followers were now Leaderless, and uh, they fell apart. At least two of them were already on their way home. We're told that it was now on that same day, that very day in which Jesus had been reported missing from the tomb. It is now afternoon, and two of his discouraged and frustrated disciples, Cleopas and an unidentified companion, set out for their home in Emmaus. I can't say for sure, but I think these two followers were utterly defeated, maybe even throwing in the towel and going home. On the way, they met a stranger. It was actually the risen Jesus, but they did not recognize him. And part of the delight of this story is that you and I as readers, we know what the characters do not. The encounter between Jesus and these two disciples on the road to Emmaus is one of the most vivid of the resurrection appearances and that account is found here only in Luke. First of all, I want you to see the confrontation beginning in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem and they talked together all, of the, all these things which had happened. As they were journeying they were moving away from the fellowship of other believers who were gathered in Jerusalem. And unfortunately that is still true. Christians sometimes allow themselves to become so preoccupied with their Dashed hopes and frustrated plans that they often withdraw from the strength that can be found among being with other believers. Losing hope can make you sick. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 13:12, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Not only is there a confrontation, but there is a clarification in verse 15, Jesus asked three questions of these disciples. The first question was, what are you discussing? And why does it make you so sad? So it was in verse 15 that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have? with one another as you walk and are sad. And then one of whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? For some reason, the eyes of the disciples was restrained from recognizing who Jesus was. Well, perhaps it was their preoccupation on their own disappointment, frustration, and problems. But I think it was the Lord's way of making them verbalize their feelings so that he could lead them to solve the problem by seeing the truth for themselves. They had forgotten the truth. That's found in Isaiah chapter 43 and verses 2 and 3, which says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall overflow you. But you shall walk through the fire, and you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, or literally, I am Jehovah your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jesus had also promised his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, Lo, I am with you always. As Jesus joins the disciples on the walk, they are deep in discussion with each other. In fact, there are three different words used to describe this discussion, and I would invite you to underline them in your in your Bibles. First, there is the word conversed in verse fourteen, and then there's the word reasoned in verse fifteen, which signifies or suggests that this was a strong debate, and then conversation in verse seventeen. that's a very interesting word. It is a word that means throwing words back and forth like a ball. In their bewilderment, they were tossing ideas back and forth with each other about what they had learned and what they had heard and what they had understood and what it all meant in the light of the latest development of Jesus' death. Jesus asked them, what they are discussing, and why they are so obviously sad. In asking this question, Jesus is allowing his disciples to express their deep hurts and angers and frustrations. Why did Jesus draw near to two obscure disciples? I think we can take heart today in the fact that Jesus often does the most remarkable revelations to the least remarkable people. Here are two people which we have never heard of before and we'll never hear of again, which is just points out to us there are no unimportant people to Jesus. As Jesus joins these disciples, he knew their hearts, he knew their needs, but he still asked them a leading question. And he gave them opportunity to pour out their confusion and disappointment. He has not changed. He still invites us. Peter reminds us that we may cast all our care upon him, for he cares for you. Cleopas is amazed that this stranger has obviously come from the area of Jerusalem and seems to be so ignorant of current. Events and said with great irony, you have got to be the only person who travels in this whole area that does not know what has happened. The second question is, what things? Jesus responds to Cleopas by saying, what, what things are you referring to? And at that moment, these two disciples were living a past tense faith. In the remainder of verse 19 through the verse 21, they list all the things that Jesus was. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. If you read this verse, you'll see they say he was Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was mighty in deeds. He was... Mighty in words, he was loved by the common people. He was hated by the religious leadership and he was crucified, but he is dead. Although they hear the rumors that the tomb in which Jesus had been laid was empty early that morning, they could not and they would not believe any wild stories about resurrection. If there was one thing, that the Romans knew how to do it was kill people. They were good at it. They summed up their condition very neatly when they said in verse 21, but we had hoped. You ought to underline that phrase in your Bible. We had hoped. It's a past tense, which strongly implies that whatever was in the past was not relevant in the present, or they would have not been so discouraged and distressed. The saddest thing of all has to be the death of hope. They had hoped, but now the flame of hope was all but extinguished as they made clear when they continued in verse 21. And besides all of this, today is the third day since those things happened. Specifically, they pointed out, now is the third day since Jesus was crucified. It is apparent that they drew no comfort from the idea that it is the third day. They saw no sign that the situation was different. In fact, they see it as a sign in which there is no hope. All earthly hope is gone. Have you been ever been so depressed? Or you tried to help someone who was so depressed, you see that those people are amazingly resourceful in finding reasons not to take any comfort in anything you have to say to them. We can be guilty ourselves of living a past tense faith. It happens when we see our faith our relationship, our connection with Jesus as something that happened in the past but has little or nothing to do with our lives today. There's a third question that Jesus asked. He says, didn't the prophets predict that the Messiah would die and that there would be a resurrection? We might have expected Jesus to say to them, well, I understand, I'm, I'm sorry. But in verse 25, he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. When he says that they were slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken, he indicates the disciples were being selective in what they learned and what they believed. They, be- they believed part of the word of God but not all of it, there are disciples who are beginning to be guilty of believing the word of God very selectively, believing those things that fit in that neat little box that we have constructed that God's supposed to be in. And we still do that today. We try to put God in this box that we have created. Specifically, They had no room in their theology for a suffering and rising savior. Their understanding of the scriptures was warped by their assumptions and by their preconceptions and even by their sin. And so is ours. Heartbreak happens this way. We think God should do something based on our faulty knowledge of his word and he doesn't do it and we get discouraged and we think God has let us down that he has disappointed us but the problem is not with God but with us his words are not meant to harm or insult but to challenge their belief what truth are you not believing today is it that God really cares about you Remember that scripture I quoted earlier, 1 Peter 5, 7? says, give all your worries and all your cares to God. Why? For he cares about what happens to you. Maybe it's that you believe that God cannot provide for you. Well, Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs, not greeds, needs according to his riches and the glory by Christ Jesus. If we find ourselves hurting and despairing and we do not find that the scripture speaks to our problem, it is caused by one of two things. Either we do not know it well enough or we do not believe it. The Lord went on beginning in verse 26 to show them that all of the Old Testament spoke of him, he says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scripture of the things concerning himself. The phrase Moses and all the prophets is a phrase that meant from all the Old Testament. The two travelers received the greatest Old Testament exposition in the history of of the world for a congregation of two. Beginning in Genesis, pointing out that he was the one who was crushed ahead of Satan, Genesis 3, 15. He explained how the ram that God provided so that Isaac would be spared was a picture of his own death in the place of sinners. He would have explained the entire sacrificial system And pointed to himself that he was the the final and perfect sacrifice for sin. He would have explained the prophecies of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. And he would have explained that he was the pierced one in Zechariah 12.10. And that he was the messenger of the covenant in Malachi chapter 3. Jesus introduced himself to those disciples through the Old Testament and explained how he fulfilled all those scriptures. What follows then is the conviction in verse 28. As the travelers approached the end of their journey, the stranger appeared to be going on and traveling at night was both difficult and dangerous so they insisted that he stay with them and say in verse 29, abide with us for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. Verse 30 tells us that they sat down to eat, and that Jesus, the guest, played the part of the host. For the host was the one who would break the bread. He says he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Perhaps it was in this time period that their eyes were opened. For in verse 31 it says, and then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? And the final thing is the proclamation of verse 33 through verse 35. And so they rose up to that very hour Now it's dark. It's night. They're going to begin to make that journey back seven or eight miles to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let me illustrate with the words of Mark Buchanan how he wrote of his own experience of frustration. He says, when I was saved, I hit the ground running. Immediately I volunteered for everything, anything, that I felt vaguely interested and marginally qualified for. I led the youth group, I helped with the music, I taught Sunday school, I wrote the church newsletter, I became a counselor and I served as a mentor to several younger men. But something, somewhere, went awry. The zeal fizzled. The fire in my burns became only an ache in my joints. My running became plodding. My lightness became heaviness. My joyfulness became jadedness. I joined the ranks of the murmurers and fault finders, those that did not like the music or the sermon or the azaleas out behind the church and I found that their number was legion that might be true of you today the truth is that God wants to set our hearts on fire he wants to give us a burning passion for life we all learn long for the eternal but we are too easily contented with the temporary we all want to be something, be a part of something worthwhile, but spend too t- much time wasted. What we have to do is go back to where we left off. In 2 Timothy 1.6, the Apostle Paul spoke to his young son in the ministry. He said a very, very simple thing. He says, therefore... I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. That verse can be summed up with three words. Again, alive, fire. And perhaps that's what we need. The Lord gave these disciples a passion and a purpose where there had only been pain And it came from two things, and they're still basic to our relationship with Jesus today. Spending time with him, that of course is prayer, and spending time in the scripture, which of course is the Bible. A burning heart is found in those two things. The result in the life of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus was that although at this point it is already late, they can't wait for morning. They must tell someone what has happened. They have to share their experience, and no one in Mayus would understand. One of the best signs of recovery from depression is a desire to be back among other believers. They had to go back to where the disciples were gathered. Verse thirty-three tells us that they decided. They had to return at once to Jerusalem. And so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. So the long discouraged back to Emmaus now became a joyous run to Jerusalem with renewed strength and encouragement. It reminds us of the story of the two lepers in Kings chapter 7 and verse 9. It says, and then they said one to another, We are not doing right. This day, a day of good news, and we remain silent. Therefore, come, let us go and tell. Their grief had blinded them. Their attention to their own loss and sorrow prevented them from focusing on God and finding out what God was doing for them at that very moment. Here's the thing. We're not asked to believe the doctrine of the resurrection. We are invited to meet the person who rose from the dead. Jesus will not force himself on anyone. The Easter message is not an announcement. It is an offer. Dr. Leo Winters was awakened one morning around 1 o'clock. There had been an accident, and a young boy was in the hospital. The nurses felt that he, as a surgeon, was the only one who had the skill to save this boy's life. Without hesitation, Dr. Winters jumped out of bed, threw on his clothes, grabbed his keys, and ran to his car. And as he made his way in downtown Chicago, he took a shortcut through a dangerous area known for very rough gangs. The risk was worth it for him for he knew that he had only precious memories, precious minutes, I'm sorry, stood between him and the injured boy and death. But something happened. As he sat at a satellite, waiting for it to change, a man wearing an old flannel shirt and a gray hat suddenly rushed from the shadows. He opened the car door, grabbed the doctor and threw him out screaming, I've got to have your car. Dr. Winters tried to plead his situation, but the man was gone before he could utter two words. That was before the days of cell phones, and it took 45 minutes for him to find a payphone to call a taxi. By the time he arrived at the hospital, more than an hour had passed. The nurses on the floor shook their heads and said, You're too late, Dr. Winters. The boy died 30 minutes ago. You'll find the father down the hall in the chapel. He's awfully confused and he can't understand why you didn't come. Without taking time to explain to the staff, Dr. Winters hurried down the hallway and opened the chapel door. There sitting in the front row was the crumpled form of a weeping father wearing an old flannel shirt and a gray hat. In his desperation to get to the hospital, he had pushed from the car the only man who could have saved his son's life. Don't be guilty this morning of pushing the one person who can save you out of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day that we've been able to gather here together thank you for those who have given their time to be with us this morning. I really believe that you have a divine purpose for each person who is here this morning. And I believe that you are willing to speak to our hearts and our needs, whatever they may be, right here in this place. It may be that there's someone here today they're still trying to push Jesus out of their life. Although he is the only one that can save them from their sin and give them forgiveness and a place in heaven, they're pushing him away. Perhaps they don't even realize that that's what they're doing. are those here today that uh, when we talk about eternity, it's not a comfort to them, it's a fear because they really don't know. They don't know what's going to happen to them when they die. They've never established a relationship with the Savior. I pray that you would speak to them this morning. pray that they would understand that right here in this place, they can change their eternal destination simply by repenting of their sins, agreeing with you about their sins, and asking for forgiveness and accepting what Jesus did on the cross. There are others here this morning, they're saved, but they've been beaten down by the world so much that they're discouraged and depressed. And they're looking inward instead of outward. And they're not looking upward to where they can find the help that they need. Would you comfort them this morning? There are those who grieve and we grieve with them. We ask, Lord, for your presence in this time of invitation